From the ultimate resort, it's the IGN DigiGods. Please welcome two critics who never get anything wrong, anything wrong, anything wrong, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Thank you, Corey. And who has the honor and the privilege of having provided our final podcast intro for 2014? That was written by Carl Naras. Carl Naras. Carl Naras. There we My go. My God, I hope we're saying his last name right. That's right. Corey does not get paid by the word. That's no, not why not. he was saying that over and over again. No, no, that's no. Corey doesn't not. get paid at all, as it turns out. So, Mark, we were able to squeeze one more out this year before we go on holiday hiatus. We'll be back uh, the second week of, uh, of uh, 2015. We will? Yes, second week of 2015. So, What happened in the first week of 2015? Because that's the week of New Year's. Oh. That's the New Year's week. I'm not in town. You really? I Probably not. Wow. It's exciting. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the following week we'll be back. And we'll have all kinds of fun and frolic. But Mark, for starters, before we get into, we got all kinds of you know late coming stuff, stuff we didn't get to on the last show, the holiday show. We got good, good, lots of kind of still pre-holiday, pre-Hanukkah started, right? Oh, I don't know. What do I know? Okay, fine. <laughs> I really have no idea. It's like I, th- right. I, yeah, I think it might be December fourteenth this year. That that that's it's, sticks in my head. To, well, we are recording this on December fourteenth. Oh, is that right? Yes. Uh, my happy Hanukkah, Wade. I know it, it, it wraps up like Christmas Eve or something like that. I, You're I, asking the wrong guy. Anyway. I'm okay, a cultural fine. Jew, Wade. A cultural Jew. <laughs> I get. I, I like the food, the various diseases that come with being Jewish, and all the uh, anti-Semitism. I, I that's that's what I've signed up for. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, but there are two things that we need to talk about right off the top of the show. Uh, the first, of course, being Lafka voting, which would have been our number one subject of discussion. If not for the fact that uh, Kim Jong-un went and cracked open the Sony digital archives and has now basically vomited all kinds of stuff. all o- And, yeah, I know. We don't know that it was the North Korea. Give me a break. It was, it was Kim Jong-un for sure. We know this for a fact. So at least I do. And uh, so before we do anything that will tempt him to, of course, you know, dig into our emails and expose our deepest, darkest secrets and the things that we say about listeners. Um, thoughts. On, on, the, on, on the Sony debacle, before we get into Oh, the Black. Sony debacle. Yeah. First of all, I find it probably a hundred times more fascinating than anything Eric Snowden came up with. <laughs> I really do. I think this is absolutely... First of all, if you, it's, it is historic. Yeah. It is unforgettable. First of all, you're talking about a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a government, a world government that has decided that they don't like a movie. <laughs> so they are going to <laughs> perpetrate a, 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 an historic document dump. Okay, on the world that has literally made an entire industry scared S-less. Okay, this, this is not just like some dude decided to. This is a world Look, government is behind here's why, this. Here's why I did not originally think it was North Korea. And as crazy as we know that they are, as insane as we know they are, this is a nuclear power, a completely unhinged bunch of people. Here, here's, and, and yes, this is the same country that when Kim Jong-il was in charge, he was so upset uh, at his the the and the puppeted the, the marionette depiction of him in Team America, that he had the uh, his ambassador he had you know relations with the Czech Republic, 
uh, and that he had his ambassador in the Czech Republic go to the, the president of the Czech Republic and demand that the movie be removed from screens in the Czech Republic. And, of course, the Czech Republic is like, I'm sorry, it, communism is not here anymore, and the only reason you guys have an embassy is, is because it's left over. And, you know, we really didn't, didn't, weren't interested in kicking you out because it's too much trouble. So crawl back in your hole and leave us alone. And you would have thought that with that, that would have been that. And it's like, okay, if, if North Korea has an issue that they're, I mean, if there's something they're going to go and they're going to get hire hackers to just go to the wall and do this, wouldn't they be going after the state secrets of China, Russia, the United States? Wouldn't they be going after, like, nuclear secrets, like Northrop? Wouldn't they be cracking open the Northrop computers and trying to get, like, technical secrets out of there? Wouldn't they be going to Apple Computer or Microsoft or Germany and trying to get banking secrets? Wouldn't they be... No, they're trying to embarrass a movie studio? Yes. Are you it, kidding me? They're, they're trying, this, is what, yes. this is what they first use their all, capital for? First of all, they're trying to embarrass a movie studio that works for the capitalist dogs that is America. And also, you know, you know how hair trigger those guys are. The moment they feel slighted by anything, they threaten nuclear war. <laughs> Okay, any, it doesn't matter what, and, and obviously you just had an example right there, right, from years ago mm-hmm. about uh, Team America. So they're completely unhinged, okay? What they find, what, what, what they find actionable or worth, or, or worth well, caring about is not what you and I find actionable and worth caring about. So they, they don't like the fact that their leader is being humiliated in a movie made by the capitalist American pig dogs, <laughs> and they are going to perpetrate this, the, most, the most fascinating. And by the way, in, in all these emails, it really, the emails really just show that this is business as usual in Hollywood and that private correspondences often say I'm, things like that. So it's business as usual, but... You know, I'm I, surprised that anyone finds this all surprising. It's like Scott, no, Scott Rudin says rude things about actors and actresses. You really are you? Scott Rudin goes through like five assistants a day. But you know that really? I know that. But the average person doesn't know that. It is totally, absolutely behind the curtain. Fascinating. Oh These gosh. you are learning how the sausage is made. Okay, look, <laughs> it's I all, it's always been made this way. But but you know that, and I know that, and many other people know that. But they but. Uh, the average person oh who, who, I mean, they have more important things in their lives to worry about this. Now they know. It's, it's amazing. The idea that, a, that, a, that an Oscar-winning producer would call Angelina Jolie a spoiled brat, an egotistical spoiled brat, <laughs> so, is hilarious. Well, we, we got an email from Chevelle Dixon who asked about this, longtime listener Chevelle Dixon. And he said, Sony's not having a good year. These new hacks are illuminating but bad for the company. Is it going to, t- uh, uh, is it going to be tough for them? Uh, and I still can't believe this is because of the interview. This is the world we live in. What are your thoughts? And my answer to him was, I, you know, it's, it's all sensationalistic, but it kind of belongs in Us Magazine or People Magazine. I don't. I this th- is a world power. <laughs> this is this is why I think this ultimately reflects more poorly on North Korea once they are able to corroborate this, is because y- you suddenly go, really, you are you a government is so petty that it's this sensitive to what uh, to this kind of a. De- I mean, really, yes, are you historically kidding? they've been like that. That's, what, that's how they are but, historically. But as far as, as far as Sony's concerned, I really I think all of this is going to blow over because first of all. In the business, a lot of people are going to be really hurt, and they're going to go, yeah, so how are you going to make it up to me? And it's like, well, well, how about if we make your next movie and we give you a fat paycheck? Okay, bygones are bygones, and then everything's okay again. Everyone hates everybody in this business, but that doesn't mean that they aren't willing to work together again if the, if the price is right. You know, well, look, That's simply how it is. 
And this stuff happens all the time. And people know who hate them. And people know where the, where the axe is and, you know, buried and where the grudges are held. Everyone knows this. So it, it, these things being aired publicly, I, it's kind of sensationalistic for now. But I think ultimately it blows over and it really becomes much ado about nothing. But it's also – it's not like Scott Rudin wrote an autobiography that was published and you can buy. True. That called Angelina Jolie is egotistical spoiled brat. True. These are the, – the sexiness of it yes. is that these are – Extremely private correspondences that never should have seen the light of day in any way, shape, or form. As Lisa Kudrow was saying, who's advising these people? Even I know that you're not supposed to put things like that in corporate emails. It's not like if I know that, why don't they know that? You know what? But that's part of it too because it part of this, it exposes the the egotism, right, of of people in power. It exposes their pettiness and their arrogance and their greed and that's part of what this – like look, there there was one – this is TV related, but there was one – from Mark Cuban, who said, what? Offer me $30,000 an episode for Shark Tank? That's an insult. Okay, there are people who all year do not make $30,000 a year. And he's like, $30,000 a year, an episode for Shark Tank? That's an insult. <laughs> because his time is worth more. You know, the, honestly, Mark Cuban, the amount of the money that he makes for, each, for an hour or two hours invested in doing what he normally does... Is, is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, I mean, that, I'm sure he's like, instead of doing, it's the opportunity cost. I'm sure he's like, instead of doing your crappy show for $30,000, I could be like, you know, sitting around and wearing a blindfold and trading random stocks and make 10 times as much. It's like, why would I waste my time? Look, I'm sure that's the way he looks at it. I, here's, here's how I liken it in terms of learning how the sausage is made, yeah. hearing and seeing and reading things you, you usually are not supposed to. The other night, I watched on the MLB Network because yep. I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. They had a special where they mic'd up all the umpires for the World Series. Yep. So you can hear all their dialogue, everything they say to each other during the World Series, everything they say to the players during the World Series, on the bases, between innings, during innings. Yeah. All that stuff for me was like, like I was wrapped <laughs> because I, I, you don't get to hear that stuff. You were wrapped like a Christmas present. I was. You don't get to hear that stuff. And That's... to me, it was like every, every syllable was a gift. Mm-hmm. Right of learning what they, what they really say to the players, what they really say to each other, how they adjudicate a, a tough call, like all that stuff, all the swearing and all the jokes and all the all the you know the gallows humor. I loved all of it, even though yes, I know they sit there in first base and say safe and out, and they spit and that's all they do. Yes, I get it, but I I was just wrapped in knowing what really 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 goes on. These are personal private correspondences that are normally not recorded well and here I, they are i you know I, I i just still i'm still in awe that they invested the all best. that effort in sony and not you know like say congressional emails in the united states government I, it's, although on christmas they have a very special gift coming oh do they you hear about that no the guardians of peace a very special christmas gift going to be released on uh, for, for a christmas gift i'm oh, telling you I, I i can see you 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 really saying that you cannot see the Kim family, whether it's, it's whether it's Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong Un, whatever, you can't see them being that petty that they would get. They, they, I'm, I'm just. It's amazing to me that if they're going to make this effort, wouldn't they have made this effort for something that got them real geopolitical gain? And apparently not. Apparently, it's just all about the ego of the guy running the country. It's it's just it's the and in, and in his country, he has now humiliated the American capitalist pig dogs. I'm right? sure. As another 20 million people starve. Okay, so uh, carrying on from that. We haven't la- talked about one. Lafka voting. We are 10 minutes into the show. We have not talked about one well, Blu-ray. Lafka voting. Yes. How do you, how'd you feel about it? I feel we, good about it. I feel it, good about it. You know, it we, 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 even, we, though, we, even though my favorite films are, you know, my taste and the rest of the group do not necessarily coincide, I am, I'm, I'm readily admit I'm not a fan of Boyhood. I don't dislike it. I just think it's, it's a gimmick and it's overrated. But that said, uh, I, I, this voting meeting... 
was the most pleasurable voting meeting I think I've ever attended. And, the, and it was the best attended, 47 people. We normally don't, don't, are lucky to get 30. That's true. Well, we, uh, we instituted a new policy that helps streamline voting a little bit. Uh, we instituted something else, which is a uh, – just here's a little bit of how our sausage is made. Uh, normally during the voting meeting, before each category, people scream out potential nominees, and then we write them on a grease board. Yeah. And that kills 10 minutes. Boyhood, Birdman, Birdman, people just yeah. screaming out nominees. Someone's writing them on a grease board. All that was done previously now in a Google Doc. Yes. So a Google Doc. Which North Korea is going to go hack. It's exciting. <laughs> They'll know that I voted for Horrible Bosses 2 for Best Picture. So the Google Doc really helped. Yes, it did. Uh, there was another voting procedural change that really helped. And I think that people, uh, you know, people understood that they needed this thing to move along. So let's not... Let's not sully it up with like a whole lot of deliberating. And, and frankly, having James uh, James Rocky being the kind of the stewardess who goes up and down the aisle with the with collecting the little final ballot things, that was entertaining because it, James is a, an entertaining sort. It, it should you know probably what? have a talk show. It moved things along. Yes, it should. And it was entertaining to watch. Yes. So I feel like we spread the wealth around. Yes. The the biggest surprise, which was Tom Hardy as best actor for Locke, is a g- great <laughs> idea. It's great. We need, to, we need to explain how that happened. Because that was the highlight of the afternoon. It really was. It really was. Uh, the, 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 you know, Lafka is predominantly male, as the field of film criticism is, uh, for some strange, nerdy reason. But uh, the the women in the room, and we have, a, we have a good, ample group of women in Lafka now. I mean, for a while it was thin there was so sort of harriet and and you know like not many others but you know there's a there's a good bunch of group christy lemire formerly of you know uh, siskel and ebert and and uh, roger ebert.com the ap uh claudia puig usa today uh you know we have a we have a linda wheat of people i mean we have a we have a good bunch of you know top tier women who shame us in the room and the the support for tom hardy started with the women and then it got to you. Actually, it started with you. It started with you, me. You, you, you gave the first vote. Now, now, something very funny happened. Well, here's, here's how it works in the voting. And then we have to get on to Blu-rays. We will. Um, the way they do it is that when each nominee process begins, somebody has to be the first one. So they to, randomly pick a, a point in the room. Right. A random place. So Stephen Farber, who's the president of the group and the one who, who presides <laughs> over the voting meeting and the one who decides who votes first, and they start going around the room. Um, Stephen Farber says... All right, let's do Best Actor. This one is one of the most highly contested. I don't know what's going to happen here. Mark, why don't you start? And I don't want to be the first one because I don't want to, like, set the tone. I don't know. What if I say, like, you know, Jason Bateman for Horrible Bosses 2? I don't know. And he's laughing at me. I don't want to do that one. So, actually, when he said, Mark, why don't you start? I said, oh, Christ. Then people kind of laughed. And then I said, here's this is my ballot. My ballot was um, uh, Michael Keaton for three, three, three points. Three points. points. Uh, David Oyelowo for Selma, who's fantastic. Yeah, and then I gave one point for Tom Hardy. And when I gave one point for Tom Hardy, Claudia Puig and Leah Lowenstein, they said, what they say? They were like, they were like yes. They were like, yes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. The girls in the room were all on Twitter. Something has begun. Something has been unleashed. It, 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 it was. It, it was like a. It was a. And then I, I went next because I was right next to you, and uh, and I gave I two or one to Tom Hardy as well. And I heard the same thing. I was like yes, and I was like oh no, here we go. And then it moved over to the. And literally, it was like five of the women in a row. It was like three points. Tom Hardy. Three points. Tom Hardy. Three points. I was like, are you kidding me? And then suddenly it was like this Tom Hardy wave. And then and every time anyone gave points to Tom Hardy, like five or six of the women were like yes. And and finally it gets to Todd Gilchrist 
And when Todd Todd said, um, I'm going to give a point to Tom Hardy because the women in the room are scaring me, it was really, <laughs> really funny. And everyone, you know, it was by that time, everybody kind of saw it. And, and, and the nice thing was, despite all jokes, everybody really did love Tom Hardy. Oh, he's great. I mean, it wasn't just the women in the room. It wasn't just that there's this, like, you know, incredible affection. There's for, not this, enough women in the group no. where if all of them banded together to no. give Tom Hardy all their votes, he would not have won. But, it, but it, was, it was amusing that there was this cheering section, this predominantly female cheering section for Tom Hardy that was just so passionate. And, of course, it carried. The men loved it. I think all of us loved it, but nobody thought everyone else loved it enough. I don't right. think, I think everyone felt like it was going to be, you know, Keaton or, you know, somebody else or you know Eddie Redmayne for doing the whole Stephen Hawking thing or you know Cumberbatch because he's the guy of the moment I think all these big names were floating around in everyone's head that nobody really realized everybody loved Tom Hardy and and it's a hell of a performance it oh, really is of course. it's just fantastic now I, I remember uh, about a third of the way through the voting I had whispered to uh, Claudia and Lael, uh who were about five feet away from me I'm like do you really think he's the best or do you just want to meet him because he's dreamy <laughs> And they were like, we want to meet him because he's dreamy. <laughs> Which, of course, isn't totally no, true. They're just being no. funny. But, you know, the thing is that, sure. uh, look, I used to work with somebody at the office who, who, who had a picture of Tom Hardy on her cubicle wall and said, you used to call him my future husband. <laughs> I mean, women love Tom Hardy. And All by the right. way, may I say that Tom Hardy started his career as the villain in Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, he did, didn't he? That was him. He was All the guy. He was, right. he was the Picard clone in Star Trek Nemesis. Well, which, let's... Which killed the franchise. Let's now move on to some Blu-rays and other oh, fun stuff. Oh, let's see. Wait, how long do we go without talking about a Blu-ray? Oh, we went about 15 minutes. But it was a lot of stuff to talk about. That's true. You know what? We, uh, we got a late box set, but it is one of the premier box sets of the season. And if you're a cinephile, you got to go get this. Unless you have the previous Blu-ray set, in which case you're probably good to go for the most part. Uh, this is the Kubrick, the Stanley Kubrick Masterpiece Collection uh, box set, which is fantastic. Fantastic. This is, uh, of course, a limited collector's edition, numbered only 29,500 of them, which I'm sure will eventually all go. And it's freaking gorgeous. Now, the previous set we did not get, the previous Blu-ray set from a few years ago, um, uh, which was also outstanding. As best it was as outstanding. I-, I did not like the packaging, but it was outstanding. Well, these are basically the same transfers. Correct. But um, but have, there's more extras. It's it's more of a coffee table size. Yeah, it's uh, the usual right, and it has a book with with uh, illustrations in it, and then <laughs> it's got it's got a uh, an extra documentary on it that's brand new, which is uh, Once Upon a Time a Clockwork Orange, which is uh, you know uh, has been released overseas in other sets, and then there's a brand new documentary on Kubrick himself called uh, Kubrick Remembered, which uh, I don't think is as good as Stanley Kubrick A Life in Pictures, which is the the like the mega doc that was was introduced the first time this thing came onto uh, DVD as a, as a compl- uh, comprehensive set. But it's also, it's great. Uh, you know, you, you, they talk to his family and they talk, it's a little more intimate, right? It's not just career oriented, but it's much more family and, and co-worker related. So, I mean, if you, if you can't get enough of Kubrick, uh, there's a lot of great stuff here. All the same usual commentaries and fantastic transfers. And it's gorgeous. Pretty great. I, I would have to say this is probably the last word on... Kubrick on Blu-ray. Now you still need to now, um, you know. There's still some stuff here that is not included. Paths of Glory. Um, well, yes, the, the the films that are included are the ones that have always been included, which are the Warner films right. plus uh, um, uh, Doctor Strangelove, which is a, uh, a Sony film, and uh, Lolita, which is Lolita was like an MGM film. Anyway, right, it's but like Spartacus. 
They, uh, they start this with Lolita. Glory, they start, the killing, killer's yeah, kiss. Everything pre-Lolita. This is everything Lolita and afterwards. So it's Lolita, Doctor Strangelove, 2001, Clockwork, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut. That's, that's what's here. So uh, everything pre-Lolita. Because Lolita is kind of when people uh, feel that Kubrick began his career as an auteur. Everything prior to that, um, you know, is either he's either, you know, an upstart filmmaker, he's an auteur learning how to be an auteur, or he's doing work for hire. Paz Glory was a for hire gig. Spartacus was a for hire gig. Uh, So by that time... Spartacus was even worse. He replaced the original director. He replaced Anthony Mann. So, uh, you know, but at that point, he became Stanley Kubrick. I can do whatever the hell I want to do. And that begins with Lolita. It's like, you know... There are stories... Uh, you know, there are stories about uh, Daly and Semmel, the former chair, uh, chairman of Warner Brothers, how Kubrick would, like, read them the script. You have to fly to London and, and sit in my house. Yes. And we'll read the script in my drawing room. It's and like, really? Because it. we run Warner Brothers. We're, we're, we're kind of busy. Maybe you've heard. <laughs> it's great. But, the, but the, the, the re- one of the reasons why people revere Kubrick is that he had the one thing that nobody has anymore, which is that he could... Clout. Clout. Look, Steven Spielberg, back when he was Steven Spielberg, even he had to deal with the budget. Yeah. But if Kubrick wanted it, it was going to goddamn get gotten. Yeah. If Kubrick said, I want it, it was yep. gotten. Other great box sets. We got a uh, seasons one through six of uh, Sons of Anarchy, which is kind of a troubled show all of a sudden. Uh, it just wrapped up. I know, but I'm just saying, like, didn't some guy on the show get just arrested or something? Uh, yes, that sounds familiar, but I've not seen the show, yeah. so I don't really know. Don't, don't pay well, attention to it. Anyway, this is a, a nice, big, hunkin', uh, fat, old uh, box set, special edition, uh, collector set with seasons one through six. And they leave an extra slot for the uh, final season when that uh, gets released. And I don't like when they do that. You know, the James Bond set did the same thing. I know. I have my James Bond set, and I have my separate Skyfall Blu-ray, which I did not you know, remove from the packaging and put into the, 50, the James Bond 50 set. Well, that's a, that's a gorgeous set, too, if you're a Sons of Anarchy fan. And then, Mark, we also got uh, a cool, groovy thing here. A oh, four, yeah. A four-DVD book set, collector's limited edition, unofficial and unauthorized, Pink Floyd 50 Years on the Dark Side. I love Pink Floyd. Now, when I was growing up, I had the worst taste in music. I was all about, like, Journey. Now, Journey's cool, but uh, I, I had terrible taste in music. Only when I was older that I discovered Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, you know, and the, the bands that really made a difference. Yep. I mean, I did love the Beatles, but uh, Pink Floyd is their iconic. Now, obviously, this uh, book, a lot of it is about uh, the years that Roger Waters was in the band. He's no longer in the band and is basically estranged from the band. In fact, Pink Floyd, they have one last album that has either come out or is about to come out. Uh, Waters has nothing to do with it. Um, but uh, the whole band is just... They were, they were, Pink Floyd, they were almost uh, the Stanley Kubrick of music in the sense that True. every time they came out with an album, it was impeccably produced, it was impeccably written, beautifully played. It was the era of concept albums, too. Where, there's right. a, where it's not just a collection of songs, but there's this overarching theme that goes through the whole thing, and you've got to listen to it from beginning to end, and... You know, it was sort of the, the, the psychedelic, drug-fueled era of i got to, like, get wasted and listen to this album yeah. so I can really know what's going well, on. Well, my, my favorite album of all time is The Wall. 
Mm-hmm. And if it's you, amazing. That's it, an extraordinary piece of work. It's amazing. You know, yeah. beca- because again, you know, when, when you were listening to that when you were younger, the wall is about alienation from mm-hmm. alienation from uh, caused by your parents and your schooling and that. And kind Waters of stuff. wrote it about the alienation from the audience. You know that there's a wall between the performer and the audience. I mean, that was the the origin of the idea, and it expanded from there. Anyway, this is a fantastic book. Comes with four DVDs, and uh, it's just it's you know Give archival interviews no, and tons not. of great Give stuff. Give me this. How dare you? <laughs> I, I think the thing is great. And by the way, it also it's gets in, it also gets into the Sid Barrett years. You know, Sid Barrett left the band very yeah. early, um, and it's great. You know, I cannot recommend this thing highly enough. It, it's it, it's uh, shaped like a book. It wouldn't really fit on your DVD shelf. No, it's 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 it's. I mean, it's it's, it's actually like the, the dimension. It's a it's a coffee table book, and but the dimensions are like a like a an LP dimensions. You know, it's like a, it's. It, it, but it's cool. It's definitely cool. It's great. And there's four DVDs, not Blu-rays, DVDs. There's interviews in it, uh, which I found completely fascinating. They looked so young and British back then. And then, of course, they got all hairy in the 70s, and now they're older and a little more uh, wiser. And it's great. Love it. Love it. So, Pink Floyd, 50 years on the dark side. I'm taking this with. And a few other things that... You're not letting uh, me take this, are you? Yeah, sure. You really? Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Or Happy Hanukkah or whatever. Uh, so There you go. So also a few other little digital gizmos I'll mention really quickly, because they send us weird stuff that has nothing to do with DVDs necessarily, but they're cool, fun things. The keyboard, smart keyboard, is like, uh, speaking of, you know, we're talking about music, it's like you plug it into your iPod or your iPad or your uh, your Mac or whatever, your Android device. It'll handle with all of them, and you basically, basically lets you kind of play like a little, do a little synthesizer deal. If you've got any music software on those things, this becomes your extended little keyboard deal. So you could become a one-man band. Wait a second. I have a, I have, I'm a saxophone a long-time sax player with a uh, uh, with garage band. I'll, you know uh, what? This you know what? could be great. Let's, let's go on the road. Let's jack this podcast, man, and let's just go and like, it, like play, some, be, play some gigs at some little dives in the Midwest. Would it be major and Kaiser or Kaiser it, and major? I don't know. It'll be... Uh, it'd be like, our, our agents will figure it out? K&M. So, uh, power to you with the numeral two and the letter U is a cool little thing. If you if you want to uh, charge, you know, smartphones and tablets and all that kind of stuff, this is a uh, replacement outlet in your house. You can charge any of your your gizmos because it has uh, USB chargeable ports right alongside the regular three plug phone port. It's called Power to You. Well, here's 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 what the world really needs. They need something that can charge a phone in half an hour. Mm-hmm. There is no reason why in 2015 it takes like you know three hours to charge your phone. Nope. Make that happen, Wade. I'll do that. And then uh, lastly, uh, a couple of little do, do, the wireless aluminum keypad. Right. This is if you're like a number cruncher. I don't know why I'm even talking about this, but the wireless. This is from Newer Tech. It's a little uh, you know wireless keypad that you can use for like uh, if you're an accountant or something. Which I will never be. Yeah. And then the things that I'm really excited about, these things. Uh, the Flex, which is a little tripod. This is from iStabilizer. And then the Monopod, also from iStabilizer, along with the Shutter Remote. This is a way of basically using your iPhone or your iPad and hooking it up to one of these incredible tripods that you can put anywhere. And then you can control. You don't have to do, like, goofy selfies anymore. You can control it remotely through Bluetooth, and you can do really, really artful photographs of like the family events over the holidays isn't that great that you know what that is much better than what i see and often laugh at especially at holiday time when people come visit la for the yep. holidays you know mm-hmm. you know they've, they've they've got their they've got their iphone connected to that that pole yes and they hold the pole out it's the worst i mean uh, seriously can't you just ask somebody excuse me sir can you take my picture no that's replaced excuse me sir can you take my picture 
walking around. And by crazy. the way, it's crazy. And you can use this for, you know, I don't know if it, uh, if it uh, hooks onto anything else like a GoPro or something, but um, I think those things are very handy. All right, so Mark, let's burn through these. Uh, we got DVDs of new movies. We're going to burn through new these as fast movies. as we can. We've we, a lot of these, you know, we've we've seen independent of the DVDs and the Blu-rays. Uh, a lot of these, you know, we have not actually looked at the Blu-rays, but it's the end of the year. We got to we're going to burn through this stuff and we're going to do the best that we can because we've how many movies did you marathon that last week? It's the same thing every year. It's just nothing but a it's movie just, marathon. And by the way, yes. It's crazy. Not only did we have the marathon, but thanks to Wade Major, and by the way, I have to thank you for this truly because I did enjoy it. I did watch all three hours and 16 minutes of the Palm Door winning drama Winter Sleep. And by the way, I watched it on my goddamn laptop. Sweet. Okay, you know it's like to watch a three hour and 16 minute Turkish drama on your 15 inch laptop? I mean, it's painful, but the movie's great. It's fantastic. Those, those, I mean, like half-hour dialogue scenes of just two people talking, and you're riveted. There it's, really is no way to make us not seem like douchebags, like film douches, to go, yeah. you've got to see this three-hour and 15-minute Turkish film about a guy in a hotel who just sits there and talks to his, to his sister. But it's great. It's incredible. It, it won the pot. Look, it won the Palm d'Or, so it's not like we being With Spielberg totally, running the jury. With Spielberg running the jury, yeah. this thing won the, won the Palm d'Or. Yeah. A three-hour, 15-minute Turkish movie about a guy who runs a hotel in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's true. It's great. It's uh, fantastic. Exactly. Anyway, let's talk Blu-rays. Finally. All right. Uh, the Skeleton Twins. We had a giveaway of this uh, on the last show, and now we're going to talk about the Blu-ray itself. Skeleton Twins is a fantastic film. Uh, this thing it has not gotten a lot of award season love. I wasn't sure whether or not it would. Uh, it stars Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, not as their SNL personae, but as, a, as, as brother and sister, incredibly dysfunctional, suicidal brother and sister, who um, basically, you know, he moves in with her again after an attempted suicide, and it's about the, the evolution of this dysfunctional relationship and how their family got to this place and it's just so good it's funny and touching and really accomplished and uh, Craig Johnson who directed it uh, deserves all the credit in the world this is just a terrific movie it's out on Blu-ray with uh, a digital HD copy on it and it's it's. I, I just I just love this film yep, I, hope it, I hope it gets a little bit of uh, I hope it at least gets an Oscar, a surprise Oscar nomination somewhere screenplay something this is a movie that needs to do well at um, other other lesser but still respected award shows yeah uh, you know, like um, uh, like the Independent Spirit Awards, sure. that kind of stuff. That's where this movie it probably needs to shine. won't. But it's but it's 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 still, even if even if it doesn't win any awards or doesn't get nominated, it's still a terrific film. People need to check it out. It's really good, and Bill Hader is so unbelievably good in the dramatic part. I mean, he's a really good actor. And then uh, not so good is Stonehurst Asylum, uh, which is it really kind of belongs in the 1960s when uh, Roger Corman and uh, Sam Arkoff were mutilating Edgar Allan Poe material. This no, but, is, but, but check out this cast. I mean, I know. read well, that cast is, for like a nothing movie. Read this cast. Kate Beckinsale, uh, Jim Sturgis, Brendan Gleeson, Ben Kingsley, Michael Caine. Not Oscar worthy. With that cast. Now we, close. now, we happen to know from a friend of ours who will remain nameless that Michael Caine will kind of do anything if the money's right. So is Ben Kingsley. And, well, Ben Kingsley, has, at this point, Ben Kingsley has destroyed, <laughs> you know, Ben Kingsley is like the Robert De Niro of, 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 you know, he's destroyed whatever legacy he had by doing anything in the world. Yeah. But I was surprised to learn that Michael Caine will do almost, not anything, but just almost about. anything where the money's right. Yeah, just about. And uh, then there's also uh, a crappy little thing here that some people will probably want to want to check out if you happen to be a football fan. Uh, when the game stands tall with Jim Caviezel, uh, it's a, a you know true story, another one of those inspirational coach stories. Uh, I mean, you know, if you 
if you're not familiar with the story, this is the guy who coached the uh, LaSalle High School uh, Spartans to this amazing 151-game winning streak. And this is not about, like, a national championship. This is about the end of the streak. So it's a little bit of a twist. It's about how that affects this team and so forth and so on. I mean, it's a famous story, but I, it doesn't really transcend its footballness. So I'm not sure that that'll really, you know, if you're a football fan and you know the story, it's definitely worth watching. It's, but otherwise, maybe not your cup of tea. All right, we watch how fast I run through these. Yep. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3D. Um, the thing with this is that um, anybody in our audience uh, who helped make this thing a hit, which means now we must endure sequels to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, shame on you. <laughs> I mean, come on, people. Is there nothing you will not see? It's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Stop it. It's terrible. It's just, I mean, here, I, I will admit, it's not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. But that said, I don't want to know that I've got to sit here and worry about the next seven sequels to Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. It's yeah, just the worst. I agree with you. Now, it's a great-looking Blu-ray with a lot of decent extras. Um, but still, I, I just, I, I just I I can't you. tell you. Magic in the Moonlight, the latest Woody Allen film, I enjoyed very much. I Basically a remake is, of Pygmalion. It's a, it's a remake of Pygmalion with Emma Stone and uh, Colin Firth. And uh, I love it when, even though I know what the answer will ultimately be, I love it when Woody has these little dialectical conversations with himself. And here it's about, you know, does mysticism exist? Can people see into your past? You know, which gets into, into also into uh, uh, strafes against spirituality and religion and whatnot. And I already know what Woody thinks when it comes to is there a thing, is there such a thing as, you know, seeing into the future and seeing into your past and mysticism? I know the answer is yeah, no. Right. But I love hearing him work that out in the script. And it's, Emma Stone is, just, is having a lot of fun. Uh, Colin Firth, he overplays it. He hams it up a little bit, but I, I liked him a lot. I think this movie's a lot of fun. I love this movie. I think it's great. I, I, it's not Woody's best, but you know what? I mean, it, not everything can hit that kind of a high bar, so I enjoy it too. Uh, I like it. This is where I leave you. It has a great cast. However, it's not a very good movie. It is one of those kind of self-pitying... Sean Levy is the devil. <laughs> Sean Levy's devil. Uh, although I will say, this is the least Sean Levy-ish movie that he's done in a long time. I just think that it's got a great cast, including Tina Fey and uh, it, it, it Kid, Adam Driver, and... Um, uh, you know, uh, Jason Bateman and Jane Fonda, who looks like he's had a lot of work done for some reason. I just found this thing to be very self-pitying and not that clever. And it wants to be some sort of like big chill for the new generation, but it just did not hit the mark for me at all. I just think I just found this thing insufferable. Uh, but it's a good transfer. It looks nice. It's, I'll, I'll give it that. It looks nice. Well, you took something away from me. No, I didn't. I thought I had three. Um, I don't know. Did I? Okay. No, whatever. <laughs> now we'll never know what that I, third one's going to be. No. Oh, no. I, oh, I did three. You did three. No, I didn't. Yeah. Sure you did, didn't Magic you? in the Moonlight. I don't know. I lost track. Now my turn. I forgot. <laughs> okay, Copenhagen is only on DVD. Uh, here, listen how quickly I do this. This is a uh, really kind of annoying, mediocre movie about a guy looking for his grandfather in Copenhagen, and uh, he's never met his grandfather, and uh, he hooks up with this girl to help him find it, and this thing is just, it's just, it means to be kind of poignant and uh, like a little mini European road trip. I just, it, I just thought it's really dull. It's not well fleshed out, but it got some good reviews from somebody who's not me. Um, what if is a, is you know a, an okay middling romantic comedy? It means to be kind of an anti-romantic comedy, but it's actually fairly conventional. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is okay. He's trying to get out from under the Harry Potter thing. He's making a decent effort. Zoe Kazan is adorable as always. Love her. Um, but everybody else just kind of uh, you know is along for the ride. 
I, it's okay. Mediocre. Um, not bad. Not not great. Just sort of in there. Uh, we also got a little gift pack here of uh, Dolphin Tail and Dolphin Tail 2. I'm not even remotely a fan of either of these movies, but I know a lot of people are. And, you know, it comes with a nice little bow on it, and they, they want you to, you know, treat this like some kind of family gift. So if you're, if you're a fan, go ahead. Disregard my advice. Uh, Love the One You're With is another one of these uh, RLJ... Um, Romantic comedies aimed primarily at urban audiences. Uh, these things used to have Morris Chestnut in them. He was like the go-to black actor for every black romantic comedy that there was. Uh, the, honestly, you know Robert Johnson, who's the billionaire who owns Image and Acorn and, and uh, Black Entertainment Television, uh, he, he produces like three or four of these every month. And uh, they're not terrible, but they're not great. So this is just like all the rest of them. There's really not much reason to see this unless you love all the other 50 or 60 of these that have been released over the past couple of years. Then by all means, go and check this one out. Some decent talent here. Kiki Haynes is, uh, is a good talent. Uh, Nadine Ellis, like them both. Carl Payne, D.B. Woodside. You know, these people have a future, so I'm not going to completely diss them. Uh, the Device is a uh, DVD, also from Image, that is another one of these kind of low-budget science fiction, uh, dystopian, you know, apocalyptic deals. Uh, you know, the, really the only reason to see this um, is not for the, the cheesy special effects, but because producer-director Jeremy Berg, who also co-wrote it, uh, could, have a, could have a future with bigger-budget stuff if somebody decides to let him do it. So, um, yeah. Possibly. And then Dead Snow, Red vs. Dead. This series will simply not go away. Uh, this is the uh, new collector's edition on uh, Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, it's the, the usual deal. I mean, the zombie Nazis. What do you, what do you want? It's uh, on and on it goes. And uh, finally, now a movie that I absolutely think is terrific is Calvary. Uh, Brendan Gleeson in Calvary is amazing. Could be a Dark Horse Oscar nominee. Um, this film got a lot of love from the critics, but just has not really gotten to gotten any headway with critics groups. Fox Searchlight um, is is playing it pretty safe, I think, in the award season on this. Brendan Gleeson basically plays a uh, an Irish uh, Catholic priest who is told by a confessor that he uh, he's going to be murdered. This guy confessing him says, you have a few days, get yourself in order, because I've got a gripe with the Catholic Church, and I'm going to kill you, Father. And now he's got to sort of figure out, what do I do? And it's, it's really it's extraordinary. It's, 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 really, it's, just, it's really a magnificent movie. It's, it, 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 you know what's funny is that it, 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 has a, it has a premise that is very similar to like DOA, yeah. where you get like this character who knows he's going to die, right. and he's got to figure it out. So it looks sort of noirish, but uh, Brendan Gleeson, who has never really gotten his due, Right, either as, as a supporting actor or more recently as a lead, uh, he's great in this. And you know what? There might it's be fantastic. a slot. There might be. Look, it's a very tough year for male act, year. for uh, actors this year. A lot of great performances. Yeah, it's gonna be tough for him to slip in. I, but well, it's gonna be tough to slip in because there are three that you can already say are a lock. I mean, I, I think it is got to be ready. Eddie Redmayne, Redmayne, Cumberbatch, and, and, Keaton. and Keaton. Those three. Uh, there's not a remote chance in hell that they all three of them are not going to be nominated. Right. All three will be nominated. So you have to now. You have to say, okay, what's the crapshoot that's going to determine the other two? Right. I mean, it's really a crazy year. Now, if Tom Hardy gets nominated, we are going to take credit for that. You better believe it. <laughs> that would be great if he got nominated, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be awesome. That little um, movie, that'd be sensational. Uh, okay, on Blu-ray, we have uh, a very bald Antonio Banderas starring in Automata. Now, Automata is one of those um, iRobot, RoboCop sort of movies where it takes place in the future and robots pretty much are there to protect human life because human life is on the verge of disappearing forever. And when uh, one of the robots malfunctions and doesn't protect human life, 
a insurance agent. This is the only post-apocalyptic film you'll ever see about an insurance agent. An insurance agent played by... It's also one of the only you'll see about an insurance agent who carries a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Antonio Banderas. Has to figure out what happened. Um, I can only really recognize... This is not very... It's, it's, low, it's a little low budge. It's, uh, the script has is, got a lot of holes. But the only thing I'll say is that if you like this sort of movie... You could probably throw it on on a Saturday night, roll your eyes, and just mm-hmm. and just see what happens. I mean, the, the cast is not bad. It's got Antonio Banderas, and of course, Monty Griffith is in it. Robert Forster's in it, who's cool, and Dylan McDermott is in it. So the cast isn't bad, but again, it's a little low budge. Uh, <clears throat> the Giver now. Um, Jeff Bridges has been trying to make The Giver for literally oh decades. Gosh. Yeah, and he finally—it's funny. I, you, you can see how a guy who is trying to get this movie made for decades would wind up hiring an old school director like Philip Noyce to do it. Whereas maybe if this is being done today by a, you know, a fresher studio or producer, they might give it to some, you know, cool, funky kid to maybe throw some style into Noyce is very old school. And the givers also has a certain very old school vibe Mm -hmm. to its story. But in the end, this thing did not do that well. And I don't think people really responded to it. Uh, It's got a great cast, Meryl Streep. And um, obviously uh, uh, Taylor Swift is in this thing, by the way. Right, Taylor yep. Swift, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, the It Girl of the Year, the Moment of the Universe. Yeah, Jeff Bridges, Meryl Streep. So it's a very good looking. Um, it's a very good looking Blu-ray. It's got a lot of terrific special features. I don't know that the story will grab you like the uh, joy, like the Lois Lowry book did all those decades ago. But uh, you know, it's worth a, it's worth a rental. Sure. Now we also have, and so it goes, which is a real piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> with Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton, you know it was directed by it's directed by uh, 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 Rob Reiner. No, yeah, oh yeah, it's directed by Rob. Yeah. Reiner. I forgot. Directed by Rob Reiner, and I got to say, you know, Rob Reiner's last film I think was The Bucket List. Between Bucket List and there this, was something else. It was another Morgan Freeman thing between those two <clears throat> right. that, that came and went. Yeah, he's he's lost. It's yeah. it's, it's it's really over. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Michael Douglas, Diane Keaton, and Rob Reiner, this thing should have been made in like, you know. Tops 2003, if mm. not 1994. Yes. And uh, so it's a romantic comedy. It's in that sort of like James L. Brooksian, you know, every, all the people are like, they're in their 60s and they're all really beautifully lit and they're older people trying to find love and they have kids. Oh. It's terrible. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, you uh, here's a funky, cool thing I can recommend. Frank. Frank is with Michael... We believe Frank is with Michael Fosbender. We're not quite sure. Okay? And the reason I say that is because... He wears wears an artificial head. He's he's like that San Francisco band uh, the... with the with the big eye with the big eye helmets. Uh, I was going to say more like Jack in the Jack in the Box commercials. No, but. no, it's the uh, oh, you know what? See, I don't have my computer. Yeah. Don't stop the recording. Look, no, look up band. Uh, look I, up band eye helmet. Look it up. Go band eye helmet. Yeah, rock band or something. Eye helmet. I okay. freaking forgot. All right. I am so embarrassed. Anyway, Michael Fosbender plays the leader of a band, and he wears this giant prosthetic head over his over his, his prosthetic over his head, mm-hmm. and you never see his face. But he's a leader of this band. He's supposedly a genius. Maggie Gyllenhaal is one of the it's one of the other band members, very protective of him. And they're about to embark on like the greatest you know gig of their entire careers. Are you looking this up? Oh, I'm supposed to look it up now. Yes. Oh, okay. It's, it's they're they're from San Francisco. I can't. I'm like you know tonight. No, they're from San Francisco, <laughs> and it's like the Illusionists, the uh, the Illmatics, the something. This is killing me. Anyway, this thing is bizarre and totally bonkers and pretty cool. Definitely very indie. I think you really enjoy Frank with Michael Fassbender, or at least Michael Fassbender from the uh, from the neck down. Band Eye Helmet. We're loaded. Wait, is this how you do? You, you no. Google band. I'm, you said Google band. band. Helmet. Helmet. Is it just called Dude, Helmet? No, no. They, they, but they wear. 
No, do bad. That's it. I'm okay. turning. Uh, no. You know what? I'm turning my, my phone on. You don't okay. want me to turn the phone on because it, 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 it makes noises. Noise. But I don't okay. care. I don't I'm going to carry on then. I will carry on. Nymphomaniac, Volume 1 and Volume 2, continue Lars von Trier's War on Human Beings. Uh, this is the most pointless, endless movie you will ever watch. It just, it just goes on and on and on and on. And, you, and you're like, really? What is, what is the point of this? Like a, like a woman who can't stop having sex and in these vignettes of, of, I don't, with major actors. And why is Shia LaBeouf in this? And why, why? I don't understand. Who are these people? And why are you hurting me? Stop hurting me. Uh, Lars von Trier hates human beings, and this, is, and this is what he does to them. This is five and a half hours. Five and a half hours of this self-indulgent Well, because there's two of them. It does It's part one and part two. Oh, great. Good to know. The Color of Hero City uh, from Magnolia on Blu-ray is a really bad animated film with really bad CGI animation. Wait, did you just say The Color of Hero City? Uh, sorry, The Hero of Color City. Thank you. <laughs> The Hero of Color. The Residents. That's yeah, it. The Residents. Oh, Thank those guys. You. My okay. God. So how could I remember that they're from San Francisco, but I can't remember the goddamn name? I don't know. Anyway, The Hero of Color City is basically Toy Story, except instead of toys, they're crayons. That's it. It's this otherwise the same thing. This is just really, uh, it's sad. Uh, but they got a lot of good people to do voices. You know, Christina Ricci and Sean Astin and uh, Craig Ferguson, Rosie Perez, they all, Wayne Brady. They all kind of, you know, do a decent job with the voices. But it's just there's no script. There's no story. It's really incredibly dull. And they're freaking crayons. They're crayons, Mark. They're crayons. Um, the Hundred Foot Journey is a movie that was produced by Spielberg and uh, Oprah Winfrey, and it's just as saccharine and soapy as you would have expected it to be. The only thing that keep, makes it tolerable is that Helen Mirren and Ampuri are in it, and they're wonderful. But it's you know it's it's uh, it's all about a, basically a, a food and restaurant duel uh, between uh, you know Helen Mirren and Ampuri, and she's traditional and. He makes Indian food, and uh, you know. Uh, then there's like you know this little little cross pollination with the families, and okay, fine, I get it. It's you know one of those soapy movies that that we associate with uh, Lassie Hallstrom, and I'm thinking, so who the hell would make a movie that's just as goopy as a Lassie Hallstrom movie? Now Lassie, we know Lassie Hallstrom. Uh, you know, chocolat. How do you? Gosh, why does he keep doing this to us? He's just such. He's he's, stere- he's feeding his own stereotype. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon Two, more of the same. Seriously, it's like the same movie. There's a dragon. You train him, and there's another it's one. More of the same. It's on Blu-ray. As above, so below. Uh, could not get through more than a couple of minutes of this ridiculous horror movie set in the uh, in the Parisian catacombs. Yeah, uh, I, I was hoping this would be good. No, because it had a setup where you're like, Stupid. well, whatever happens above ground, like there's secret fears Dreadful. would manifest themselves underground. And Dreadful. It, it's, it's interesting, right? It's not a bad premise, but no, it's uh, it all right, not. But uh, they did silly. not. Uh, you know, Fr- with that. Fred Topol of Crave Online says that the Expendables Three is the best. Expendables yet. Speaking of leaks, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, anyway, this thing, uh, you know, the, the 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 formula here has been to try to keep it fresh by adding a little bit of old, a little bit of new every time. You know, get some new actor. This focuses too much on the new. Unfortunately, they they try to kind of uh, engineer this thing for teen audiences. It's rated PG thirteen. This um, this fortunately is an unrated edition, which doesn't help it much. Because the whole thing was engineered to a younger audience, and they're thinking, we're, we're, now we've got to... It, like, betrays the premise. Well, look, how many days are they really going to get out of Harrison Ford? You, you know that Harrison Ford was like, look, just do it for three days. For three days, you do this movie. It's a, it'll, it'll be the Expendables. It'll be campy and fun, such, and people talk such, about you. Such a wasted opportunity. I mean, you've got Wesley Snipes, Kelsey Grammer... Why is Kelsey Grammer in this? Has he ever been? Is he he has a Frasier? Weird, he's got a weird look. Kelsey Grammer like, was in the oh. X Men movies. Look, didn't you find it weird that Kelsey Grammer was Beast in the X Men? 
X-Men movies. He's got a weird... Sometimes he'll do something really weird. That's very strange. Anyway. Uh, and, you know, I would He's have also thought, a sideshow Bob. I, I would have I also thought that with Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford, you would get like some great... No. They didn't get any great juice out of those two. They really didn't. So, no, because the script's not great. It's unfortunate. Uh, the November Man uh, is Pierce Brosnan angrily showing us that he still wants to play James Bond. Yeah, this is lame. Uh, it's, actually, you know why? It really, it really feels like James Bond running on fumes. It's like he's in his—he's sixty years old, and he can't believe someone actually hired him to play like a yeah. like a top line, you know, CIA guy who runs around shooting people. I thought it was okay. I thought it was better than the uh, the, the Kevin Costner movie that was that also. Oh, came that's out. right. What was that thing? What um, was it? I don't even, I've forgotten the title. That was called anyway. The Residence. Thank you. Better than that one. I yes. think I think Brosnan still knows how to play this character. He still knows how to pull it off. And uh, then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, which, of course, directed by our good friend uh, Matt Reeves. You we, can't say that now. If we say good things about it, it'll, it'll seem like we're... Uh, we're we, everyone knows this. There's, there's no objectivity here it, whatsoever. It, it, it has like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's fantastic. Everybody loves this film. It's fantastic. And I did not like the one that, that preceded it. I didn't like the, the, the previous one because of James Franco. I thought it was lame. So basically, um, you didn't like the one not directed by your friend. Correct. But you liked the one directed by your friend. Spot on. <laughs> uh, no, but I thought what they did with this was, was, was cool. You know, the... the the, the world is disintegrated. It's a post-viral, you know, not as opposed to post-apocalyptic. It's one of those post-viral scenarios, which we get in 28 Days Later and on and on and on and on. But I think here they play it really well. And the politics and the society of the apes is played really well. Yeah, they, um, you know what? They, they didn't shy away from stuff that most movies of this type would shy yeah, away from. It's great. How the society works, the politics of it, the way the apes and the humans interact with each other is pretty, it's pretty complex for what it so, is. Very well done. And a great commentary by Matt. Matt is fantastic with commentary. I mean, he's just... He, he's, he's, he's Was just, he wearing his bow tie while doing the commentary? <laughs> Probably. That's becoming his trademark. It's a very strange thing. But he was like that anyway. He was like that. He, he was that guy before. Yeah, he always has been. He's always been that guy. I mean, you know, not to divulge too much, but there is nothing funnier... I mean, he would do this when we were in high school. There's nothing funnier than when you go over to Matt's house and most people, you ring the doorbell and they open the door. There's nothing funnier than when you ring somebody's doorbell and the door opens very slowly and then Pterodactyl Man pops through the... It's Matt basically doing a face and a sound of a pterodactyl. It's the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my entire life (laughs) because it's so bizarre. Well, the, what he really needs to direct is the next Jurassic Park sequel. If he, if he directs Pterodactyl Man, I, I will, as opposed to the sequel to Birdman. <gasps> Wouldn't that be great? My number one film of the year. Fantastic. My anyway. number one film of the year, Wade Birdman. I know. I know. Mine, mine is the theory of everything it so far. Not. Yes. Really? I love that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, he, here's the thing. You know, like critics, you can tell what their propensities tend to be. Yes. You are a softie. You will cry at anything that's like, oh, like lit like a blast furnace. We're like, you know, the man and the wife have love you each seen, other. Have you seen Paddington? I have not. I'm, you're, if you want to talk about how much great. of a softie I am, Paddington at this point looks like it's going to be in my top ten. I'm not kidding you. No, actually, you know what? I, I legitimately heard it's great. I love Paddington. It's killing it in England. It's killing it. I mean, it's a British story, and it's very Mary Poppins-ish, but it's, it's killing it. And then uh, a Western called Frontera with uh, Ed Harris, Michael Pena, Ava Longoria, and Amy Madigan uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, so it was okay. Um, you know, Ed Harris, as always, is, is, uh, is very professional, and everybody, you know, is good. Even Eva Longoria is, is, is okay. She's not great. Um, she's kind of stretching a little bit here. But uh, this is, you know, a modern Western. takes place uh, down on the border by Arizona. 
and uh, it's about illegal smuggling, and it it, it does kind of go into that um, modern Western noir a little bit, but. Um, and you could say this is kind of a thing that maybe belongs on television, but I still I think with, it's a decent cast. It's worth checking out. Maybe more of a rental than a, than a purchase. Now, Wade, you're going to be giving me this uh, uh, Blu-ray. You just don't know it yet. Uh, okay. You don't need this. Come on. Sure. Actually, I, don't even, I don't even know who that is. I don't even know who that is. Well, you're about to know. Okay. What? I have no idea. Last play at Shea, which is a terrific documentary about uh, the very last concert played at uh, Shea Stadium before they mm-hmm. closed it uh, and, and opened up City Field uh, was played by Billy Joel. Local uh, local kid Billy Joel, and this is a great documentary. Not only is it a great documentary because the concert's great and there's a lot of great uh, guest stars like Paul McCartney, but they also get it, it, it's like it's intersecting histories. It's not only the history of Billy Joel and his music; it's also the history of Queens, uh, Shea Stadium, the Mets. So it, it it really sort of dovetails both stories together. So it's not just like your normal play the next song, play the next song. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of music in it, and some of the bonus features are some extra songs. But uh, I think this thing was not only great because I love Billy Joel, I love the Mets, but also it's a very well, it's surprisingly well put together documentary, not just about the history of Billy Joel, but also the history of the of the neighborhood and the stadium. And uh, so I can't recommend uh, Last Play Shea highly enough. <clears throat> so there's that. Wade's giving it to me. Sure. Bob Marley, Uprising Live. This is uh, Bob Marley from 1981. He was 36 years old then, I believe, and um, he was great. You know, Bob Marley, uh, he is the guy who is still, after all these years, the really the only guy synonymous with reggae music. When you think of reggae music, you think of Bob Marley, and maybe you'll struggle to think of one more, and then that's pretty much it. So we've got a lot of Bob Marley here. I Shot the Sheriff, you know, War, um, No Woman, No Cry, all of his big classic hits. And you really get a sense of why he was the one guy who made reggae so mainstream. He was very energetic, very charismatic. He was a great performer. The songs hold up. So check out Bob Marley Uprising Live uh, from the good folks at, uh, actually this is from Universal, believe it or not. Got the rights to this. Um, That's good stuff. So from 1975, we have the LA Forum. Now the Lakers used to play in the in, in the in, Forum. They did the fabulous Forum, which the became the Great forum. Western Forum. That's right. Which, yeah. And then it closed, kind of, and then now it's reopened. Yeah, they're trying to make the Forum into a like a concert venue, a legitimate concert venue again. Yeah. I think it's great. I do too. So here we have the Rolling Stones from the Vault LA Forum live in 1975. There's a lot of Rolling Stones um, stuff out there. I, I my thing is that I tend to check out of the Stones. Kind of after this time, because uh, I, I need Honky Tonk Woman and I need Tumbling Dice and it's only rock and roll. You know, once you start getting into like, I mean, Miss You is good. And, you know, once you, start, once you really start getting to like Steel Wheels and that kind of era, then basically the band is done and they're just running on fumes. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, Miss You is great. And, uh, you know, some of the those mid 70s albums are good. A couple of good songs in the, in the, in the 80s uh, were good. But here, at least you're in 1975, so you're getting them at the tail end of their super-duper heyday. So Street Fighting Man, Jumpin' Jack Flash, it's great stuff. If you like the uh, Stones, go for Rolling Stones from the Vault, LA Forum, 1975. Wicked. Now, on the, oh, by the way, before we talk about this one, we'll talk about this one. Jeff Beck, live in Tokyo. Jeff Beck is, um, he's kind of one of the forgotten guitar gods. You've got Eric Clapton and uh, some of these other guys, and we talked about Pink Floyd earlier on. Dave Gilmore is another... uh, is another uh, guitar hero. Jeff Beck uh, is great, and he's been a little bit forgotten, and maybe he can reclaim some of his glory with Jeff Beck live in Tokyo. Um, it's, uh, it was filmed this year, and the fact is, he still got it. It was filmed in the Tokyo Dome, and uh, it's great. 
It's a fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic um, Blu-ray. It looks great, which some of these older ones don't, just by virtue of being older. And so you got a lot of his great. You got a lot of his songs that you don't realize you know, but you actually do know, like Rolling and Tumbling and uh, Loaded. And he also does Little Wing. He does a great version of Little Wing. So there you go. Little, uh, Jeff Beck live in Tokyo. Go for that. Looks great. Sounds great. Finally, in anticipation of the uh, big screen version of Into the Woods, which I saw and uh, did not like, although Wade no, no, saw I, it. I enjoyed it, uh, but I have, I have issues with it. But that's <clears throat> we have, for another um, show. We have the original Broadway production of Into the Woods. Now, when you watch this. This is awesome. When you watch this, you realize where the movie fails. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's funny because you would think Into the Woods, it's such a visual idea. Yeah. They're in a forest, and there's Rapunzel, and there's Red mm-hmm. Riding Hood, and there's the whole it's it's so cinematic. Yeah. And yet somehow the stage play does it better than the movie. True. How does because, that work? Because it lets it breathe. That's you know, right. The movie the movie's I mean, this'll we'll save this for another time, but the movie's in too much is in a hurry. And it's in a hurry to turn it into a Disney film as opposed to a Stephen Sondheim musical. And there is a tension between those two things. So we have uh Bernadette Peters, Joanna Gleason, um, you know, a lot of great um Broadway actors from back in the day. So, yeah, you got to check out Into the Woods, the original Broadway production. Yep, totally awesome. the movie. That's another Blu-ray, this Blu-ray. A few lingering uh, Christmas titles. We've got uh, Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. Yeah! (laughs) Grumpy Cat. Grumpy Cat, an infamous meme figure uh, all over Facebook, and they decided to make a Grumpy Cat movie with Aubrey Plaza doing the uh, the voice of Grumpy Cat, which actually works quite well. It works, but does it work as well as Bill Murray as Garfield? Not really. I mean, it's it's, it's okay. I mean, this is, you know, there's only so much you can squeeze out of Grumpy Cat, and at 90 minutes it wears thin very quickly. Here's the thing. Wait, here's yeah. the thing. Grumpy Cat, awesome. This movie? <laughs> Not so much. Not so awesome. It's okay. It, it's better than I expected it to be. Uh, Jeff Dunham's very special Christmas special. If you like Jeff Dunham and his absolutely horrendous uh, puppets and his whole ventriloquist routine, which I don't. Um, not a fan of his. Uh, I Love Lucy, colorized for kids of all ages. This is an exclusive at Target, um, and I can't say that I'm all that excited about the fact that they went and got I Love Lucy's uh, Christmas episodes, which are, you know, there are only three of them, and that they colorized them and released this as like a kind of a whorish Christmas title just to try to make a few bucks. I mean, it's like, really, Paramount? Can you, I mean, are you that desperate for cash that, I mean, how much is this really going to make for them? Well, you see, here's the thing. You can't make that argument because you're making that argument for, for one of the most beloved comedians of all time, yeah. right? If you're going to make that argument, make it for like some crappy show no one cares about. Exactly. It's starring unknowns. And then uh, I got to tell you, this is just awesome. Uh, this, will, this will light your Christmas up like nobody's business. Jingle All the Way 2, starring Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah. Uh, pretty awesome, right? I mean, why hire Schwarzenegger and Sinbad? Uh, you know, more than a decade later, when you could hire Larry the Cable Guy, I really don't it, understand. It's, the it's point really there to me. They're interchangeable in terms of star yeah. power. And, well, uh, the talent. nice part is that you also get this with ultraviolet, so you can watch it on your phone when you're standing in line at Best Buy. That's what makes this so special. You know, speaking of Schwarzenegger. Um, how horrible does that new Genesis Terminator crap look? That thing looks like a piece of crap. <laughs> that looks like a disposable, unnecessary piece of crap. It looks, like, it, looks like, it looks like they just said, what pieces of all previous Terminator movies can we like throw together in one movie and try to make an excuse for it? It, it looks like a really, really well-made fan film. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't understand the point of it. 
Anyway, uh, foreign films. Let me blow through some foreign films real quickly, and then we'll uh, get into some some classics and uh, classic movies and TV and some other things that we can try to squeeze in before the show ends. Uh, Elo Elo is a uh, Singaporean movie that won the Camera Door for Best First Film at this uh, year's Cannes Film Festival. Basically, the story of a, of a family trying to keep it together during the uh, Asian crisis, the Asian financial crisis of 1997. Beautifully acted, wonderfully put together. Uh, it's fantastic. Anthony Chen, who did it, first film, very accomplished. He's got a real future ahead of him. Um, the uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Criterion has released on Blu-ray La Ventura, the Michelangelo Antonioni film, which I think is one of the great movies of all time. Some people just think it's this insufferably slow and boring movie about nothing of people just looking under rocks, and and uh, it's not. It really is a, a fantastic film, uh, it, it, but it's very sparse and very meditative and existential. Uh, but it's wonderful, and it's a great transfer. Beautiful, beautiful black and white photography. Um, what I want is Criterion, speaking of Antonioni, hmm. to release The Passenger. They, they're going to do that. I'm, I'm sure they're going to do that. That's going to be great. Look for that next year. I'll bet you anything. Uh, one of my favorite things on here is uh, Olivia Assayas uh, talking about the film, doing an analysis of it, which will really, really bring it home. And speaking of The Passenger, uh, Jack Nicholson reads the writings of uh, Michelangelo Antonioni here, which are really interesting. Um, super cool. And uh, let's see what else we got here on the foreign front. Um, this is historic, and it's interesting because it's coming from Raro Video. Raro Video, who is distributed now by Kino, normally does all these kinds of Italian gangster movies. I mean, it's uh, you know they're they're like there are a couple of Visconti films in their library and some other stuff, and most of it is just you know Italian actioners from the 1960s and 70s, and and you know really fairly limited stuff. And then suddenly you're like, what? What? This is great. I love this movie. Are you kidding me? I know. Now, the, why did they get this and not like a Criterion? It, because or the reason, thing? the reason, the conform, the reason most Bertolucci movies are not out. I mean, Tragedy of a Ridiculous Man isn't even out. I mean, the reason most Bertolucci movies are not out, most of his you know pre uh, Last Emperor stuff, is because the rights are a mess. Bertolucci's movies were put together in the 60s and in the 70s. I mean, 1900 is out, The Last Emperor is out, and that's almost it. The, you know, like a couple of his American things after that. But all the early stuff it has been a, night, a rights nightmare. It's been like WKRP times 10. It's been like China Beach and Wonder Years. It's one of those things because of the way they were financed and all the kinds of bankruptcies and Italian laws on copyright ownership and who knows what else. So somehow... Out of that quagmire, Raro Video winds up with the rights to The Conformist and has put it on Blu-ray. And it is, uh, it's a really good transfer. I can't help but feel like it would have been a better transfer in the hands of somebody like Criterion. Well, the thing is that, but, to me, in terms of pretty pictures, yeah. and the way the movies were shot, this is one of the most beautiful films. It's incredible. In terms of the way it was I, shot. I, I, I love I, it. I, I, my, uh, my European film history class at UCLA... This was my final. It, one of the questions per- pertained to The Conformist. And I sat there and I was like, I'm going to kill this. And I knocked it out of the park. I sat there and I got myself writer's cramped ten times over just jacking away in that blue book. It was all about The Conformist. Flashback within a flashback. It's awesome. Uh, anyway, it's a great movie. Really one of the great movies of all time. It includes uh, the, uh, the documentary In the Shade of The Conformist hour-long documentary, uh, trailers, and uh, a really cool illustrated booklet. So, um, you know, you again, we can, we can dream of what this might be if it were a Criterion release, but for the time being, we've got The Conformist on Blu-ray, and that's cause for celebration. 
And uh, let's see what else we got here. Foreign. Uh, Daniel Auteuil is uh, becoming the new guy who uh, is trying to bring the writings of Marcel Pagnol more completely to the screen. Marius and Fanny now out uh, that he did recently in a two-disc set from Kino Lorber, only on DVD, not on Blu-ray, I'm sad to say, so I may have to go to France and get uh, Blu-rays of these. But uh, these are the first two parts of the... Um, uh, the 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 you know the Mar- the Fanny trilogy the Marius and Fanny trilogy, and it's wonderful. Maybe not as great as you know uh, Jean de Florette and Manon of the Spring, but certainly on par with uh, the Well Digger's Daughter, which was the last one that uh, Daniel Otoy did. So he's Daniel Otoy becoming quite the uh, the auteur himself. And um, let's see. And then lastly here, a Maurice Piala film. Maurice Piala, of course, who became uh, infamous when he made Under Satan's Son with Depardieu. And he won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, went up and accepted his award and declared that cinema is dead and practically got booed off the dais. Uh, anyway, he made a film uh, with uh, Jean Yan and Marlene Jobert called We Won't Grow Old Together which is also out from Kino on Blu-ray. And uh, this is a lovely movie from 1972 that a lot of people kind of don't even know exists, but it's, uh, it's well worth checking out. It has a great interview in it with uh, Marlene Jobert and a, what they call a video appreciation by Alex Ross Perry. So, um, you know, that's worth checking out as well. All right, Mark, uh, let's, let's crank through some television. Shall we crank through some television? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Now, Dobie Gillis was never my favorite show. This is a little bit, uh, this is a pre-mark. Uh, this is really kind of a pre-mark. Uh, uh, but uh, people love this show because, frankly, it co-stars uh, somebody who you will eventually become very, very familiar with. The Skipper from Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. No, that's not true. No? Oh. Uh, Gilligan. That's the guy. From Gilligan's Island. Bob Denver. Plays Maynard T. Whatever his name is. If his name had been Bob Detroit, would his career have been a no. success? No, no. It wouldn't have this is the final season of Dobie Gillis, uh, The Many Lives of Dobie Gillis. Um, I was never a fan of this show. Again, this is kind of like pre-Mark, but um, there's 36 episodes. Uh, make sure that... Uh, by the way, Sally Kellerman is in this final episode. Isn't that crazy? This final season. Sally I Kellerman. Know. I know. What happened to her? Was she ever hot? Well, no. Uh, she was in the uh, original pilot for Star Trek. So get this. So I <laughs> People went to forget a, that. People forget Sally Kellerman was a, was a Star Trek character. Get, so get this. Yes. I went to this, um, I went to this uh, art show last night, right? I went to this art show last night, mm-hmm. and it's all these artists, you know, very, uh, very respected work. And there's there's sculptures, and there's there's, there's paintings, and there's uh, what, what installations, the whole thing. In the corner of one of the um, artists, you know, rooms, whatever, where they were displaying all this art, there's a huge painting, <clears throat> right? And the painting, I kid you not, again, this is like a legitimate art in opening in Santa Monica at the airport. Lots of beautiful art and paintings and the whole, still lives the whole nine yards. There is a huge, like, probably, a, I would say a five foot by five foot rendering of a still of William Shatner as Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek pilot looking like this. Nice. Do you remember when um, the scene where, um, what's his name, like, he, make, he makes him, like, turn around and jerk his body up like that because he's, like, he's mind-controlling Kirk? Oh yeah! Right, he has control over him in in in, in the, the original pilot in the cage. Yes, yes, yes. Totally. Right, he's like he's his eyes are white now. He's Gary like, uh, Gary when, Lockwood. Yeah, when Gary right? Lockwood does so, that, yeah. So Kirk does this thing like this, where he looks shocked. He looks shocked, and the guy painted a photorealistic painting of that frame. That's outstanding. And this is like amongst all of this like serious art, and I just looked at it saying, I love this guy. 
he's the greatest artist I've ever seen in my life. Mainly because the rest of the art was just like pretentious oh, like nice. art crap. Because you know what? Here's the thing. Because it was an art show, I decided to wear a turtleneck sweater. Because I figured at art shows, everyone has to dress like, you know, like an East Coast art douche. So sure. I figured my East Coast art douche you know, uh, costume would be a turtleneck sweater. Uh, complete, by the way, you can cut all of that out of the show. Okay. Please do that now. Uh, the complete six season, Barney Miller. I love Barney Miller. Wade loved Barney Miller. Um, there's 22 episodes here. This is from um, uh, 1979 through 1980. And uh, you know what? They don't make them like this anymore, which might be a good thing, although I will say that Hal Linden's still alive. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Heart to Heart is a show that I kind of enjoyed back in the day. Abe Vigoda's still alive, too. I know. He's, in his He's 172 years old. Exactly. Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. Robert Wagner's still around. I love you, may, show. You, you, you may remember Robert Wagner from the uh, Austin Powers series. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, this was one of his biggies. This was a uh, uh, ABC um, crime show. They were two detectives, and they, uh, you know, they solved uh, crimes. This Love is season it. three of Heart to Heart. Six, six discs, um, twenty-four shows. This is Aaron Spelling. So if it's Aaron Spelling, you it was, know he was the, he was the god of the era. Also, season one and two of the Crawl Show. Um, I found this show sporadically entertaining. Maybe not really. No. No. He used to do this. Uh, he he did a skit, which is obviously obviously represented here because it's the whole uh, two seasons of these uh, really fatuous publicist types that really skewers the whole Hollywood publicist world. I thought that was great. Otherwise, it's very hit and miss. Um, Extant was a big deal because uh, it was Halle Berry's um, uh, kind of big deal TV debut yeah. in a sense. I mean, she was uh, top lining a show with EP Steven Spielberg. So you had Spielberg, you had Halle Berry, and uh, you know, was it good? Meh. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, it's the first season of Extant. So a lot of special features on this thing, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, there's also a gag reel, which kind of takes you out a little bit. But uh, look, the show isn't terrible. I just think that based on the pedigree, mainly Spielberg and Halle Berry, I think they were expecting a lot more. They didn't get it. So uh, there you go, Extant. Science fiction, good special effects. But good special effects aren't that hard to do anymore. Not you know? anymore. They really aren't. We have kids in, like, you know... Uruguay or in the in the Himalayas who do this on, on laptops. I know. Yeah. Like that that show would never make like it would never be an HBO show. It would never be a Showtime show. Mm-hmm. Like the two networks that really do this original stuff. Well. That's it. Under the Dome uh, season two, based on the Stephen King book. Uh, there's still a dome, and the town's still under it. And uh, I do like this show. I like it because it seemed like a one note premise. Now, I did not read the book. It seems like a one-note premise, but there's actually a lot going on in terms of the town people and how they interact with each other and the secret fears that sort of get unearthed as they're under this dome. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more going on than you would think. I think that season one was probably better because it was a little bit fresher. Um, Season two, you would think that that they're getting a better handle on the characters, but I did think season one was more exciting. But uh, still, plenty of special features, and if you like the show, go for it. Yay! Also, I have to heartily recommend, although it's not on Blu-ray, it pisses me off, Mork and Mindy! The complete so series, 95 effing episodes of Mork sitting on his head. Because that's how he sat, because he's my, from Mork. The, the, the Jonathan Winters episodes where he's their child are some of my favorite. Those things are just priceless. Well, Robin Williams, he revered I know, Jonathan Winters. I know. That's why he came on the show, to kind of help save it at the end. And you're like, really? Jonathan Winters is their child? Oh, my gosh. It was so funny. Every episode. Not only does it have every episode of the show, it also has two of the Happy Days episodes that uh, featured that introduced Mork. And by Mork, the way... Yeah. This thing also has a gag reel, which is absolutely, unbelievably funny. Because it is, okay, Robin Williams and, and a gag reel, nothing yeah. funnier. No, it's great. 
It's, so, it's great. Got to check that out. All right. Speaking of that, happy days. I'm going to burn through the rest of this stuff so fast. Watch me burn, burn through this. See what we can cram in through the rest of the show. Uh, we got happy days. The sixth season. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of this. This is the one that has Mork returns in it. Speaking of, that's why we're releasing all this at the same time. And uh, apart from that episode, this is six years. It's it's a, getting a little thin. It really is. This is what this is about when Laverne and Shirley was starting to really become a more popular show because Happy Days was. Kind Kind of on fumes at this point. Um, Perry Mason, the movie collection. We are now into double features 10, 11, and 12. There's no point in even, you know, look, if, if you haven't bought any of the previous ones, you're not going to buy these. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Uh, Gunsmoke, likewise. This is uh, the 11th season. We're, like, we're now, what, halfway through the run? Volumes 1 and 2. If you haven't bought the previous ones, you're not going to buy these. Thank you, A, for finally admitting that people are not going to buy this nope. stuff. Nope. Uh, Starting the Next Generation on Blu-ray, slowly trickling on. This is season seven. This is, a it, se- Wade. This is a great season. Uh, this is the season that has All Good Things. Well, which- All Good Things was a series finale. That's right. And it was a great episode. Which is also available separately. They they do that. They've I know, they do that, that like every season. All, you know, uh, uh, Best of Both Worlds, whatever it's called. And it's a great season. It's, it just is a great a, it's just a great season. Look, I mean, Star Trek: The Next Generation was the first syndicated drama to be nominated for Best Show Emmy. At the time, and, that was a big deal. But to be still that good seven years in is almost unheard of. That's right. Now, I mean, shows are usually really kind of petering out at that point. But that was, it's great. Now I'm glad that they're finally done releasing these series on season sets because now I want the big honking. Full series set in a beautiful yes. thing that looks like the Enterprise and fills up my garage. There you go. I want that. Paramount, get on that. You want to be able to drive it around town yes, and wave to people from it in, and say, I, I own this. Do you know there was a time in Vegas when they were actually considering a, a Star Trek uh, a, a Star Trek hotel? Shaped that, like the Enterprise. Shaped like the Enterprise. I know. And at the, la- and at the last minute, they had the plans figured out. It was a go. At the last minute, I forgot what Vegas so Chamber right. of Commerce guy or mayor said. No, they nixed it. Oh, so Look that up. Google that. I Star know. Trek, Las Vegas. Not the, so it became the Star Trek experience at the Hilton. You know what would have been great to do that and to, and to have like make it like you're on the Enterprise going to your stateroom. You'd be wearing your Star Trek uniform. This is me nerding out. And then you get in and the windows, there's like a star field going by. And then, oh, get How this. How cool would that have been? And then I could have sex with Ashley Judd who was in that horrible episode called The Game when um, Ashley yeah. Judd and uh, Wesley Crusher, okay. they get upset. They're, they're the only ones on the ship who yeah. don't get obsessed with this game. Maybe not. That, no? No. But I want to have sex. Complete first Judd. season of The Strain, uh, which I have not watched, but I, I want to make mention of it. This is on Blu-ray, and this is apparently uh, evolving some kind of a strange, creepy following. Here's why The Strain is significant, because the artwork for The Strain, which is on the cover of the Blu-ray, is of um, Guillermo del Toro developed this thing. And it's of someone with a, a, a worm coming out of their eye. This thing was being promoted with a billboard in Hollywood. Do you, do you know this whole thing? Oh, yeah. People complained. Like, people were so creeped out by the billboard, they actually had to take it down. Yet they, they weren't... called and complained about a billboard. And yet the show didn't do that great. No, it didn't. Uh, the Simpsons, 17th season. Um... You know, what can I tell you? It's the 17th season of The Simpsons on Blu-ray. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, if you haven't, if you're, if you're, if you're going to get this, you're a diehard. Uh, when Calls the Heart has kind of a following on television. I, I was unaware of this thing based on the original novel. It's, you know, very, 
It's very uh, kind of Laura Ingalls Wilder-ish, right? Um, anyway, this is uh, this is the complete movie collection, and if you're if you're into the Jeanette Oakey novel and that world, I by all means, it's I very am so into it's, the Jeanette Oakey novel. You know what I mean? It's very. I mean, look, it's it's Western romance. It's like romance novel done kind of whatever Western style. Um, Zane Grey Theater. Uh, we'll have a certain appeal for some old school TV uh, types. This was narrated by Dick Powell. We get the first, uh, the uh, um, sorry, the second and the third seasons of this from Timeless. Yo, who's doing a lot? They need on Blu-ray, by the way. They huh? need the Thin Man series. Speaking of Dick Powell, they need the Thin Man series on Blu-ray. They sure do, don't they? It's not on Blu-ray. I know. A lot of stuff isn't on Blu-ray. We should poll the listeners at some point to uh, get a list, like we did once before, a million years ago. Uh, also from the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection, the Super Globetrotters, the animated show, which I always enjoyed. Um, this was a really fun show in its time. I, 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 don't, I don't think it, it ages terribly well. No, but the animation is terrible. Well, you know, I terrible, mean, it's... Terrible, <laughs> it's, terrible. It's, 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 it's Hanna-Barbera back in their like, film nation. Uh, yeah, it's the Globetrotters basically doing their, uh, basically being Scooby-Doo. There you go. Let me tell you it's something. Scooby-Doo what, with the Globetrotters instead of the Scooby-Doo gang. When I moved out from uh, New York to L.A., right... Yeah. I, had, I had a Harlem Globetrotters lunchbox. Yeah. And I moved to L.A. when I was 10. Yeah. And I wanted to be cool because I wanted kids to like me because I was 10. Right. And I decided that the Harlem Globetrotters lunchbox, not cool enough. So I traded it in and got a Happy Days lunchbox. Oh, Now, because I thought that'd be cooler. Sure. Now, it turns out I should have kept the goddamn well, Globetrotter lunchbox. And then uh, J- Timothy Oliphant and Justified, which keeps getting better and better, uh, is going to start its final season soon. This is the complete fifth season on Blu-ray. And this thing is uh, surprisingly good. And I'm going to make a prediction that uh, Timothy Oliphant is uh, is going to go on to a big career in movies. And he's probably going to wind up being some kind of a Marvel character at some point. Oh, yeah. Like him? Yeah, absolutely. He, he will. He'll total, Or he may be the next Green Lantern. Just mark my words. He's going he's gonna to do something in one of those superhero deals. You know, they're not going to let him go. And then Dharma and Greg, a movie, a show which I've completely forgotten about. Uh, Fox has released this in its uh, complete second season on DVD, uh, three discs of this show, which always seemed to me to be kind of like a poor man's Will and Grace. Poor man's everything. The poor man's everything. It, it never yeah, really. It never really was no. funny enough, or clever enough, or charming enough, and. Yeah. Oh, she's the kooky dharma yeah. who does yoga. Oh, crazy yoga girl. Woo! And he's the buttoned-up guy. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, King of the Hill completes seventh season and eighth season. Uh, these are uh, separate sets. King of the Hill, obviously, is a um, Mike Judge uh, show. I'm a fan of Mike Judge. I like his movies. I love Idiocracy. I will say that uh, this show is a bit of a cult show. Either you get it or you don't. And I have to say, uh, I never got it. I did not grow up in Texas. I don't know what it's like to be a suburban kid and whose dad is a blue-collar guy selling propane. Don't know what it's like. Um, <laughs> never quite got it. But um, people love this show. So just letting you know, King of the Hill Season 7, King of the Hill Season 8. Also, another show that I did not like was Napoleon Dynamite. This is the complete animated series on uh, DVD. This is uh, John. He, you know, he, he's just trying to milk this thing thing is that it's it's so sad when you get these guys who return to these shows because it means that their their, their career I, look, is not moving on I, you know full disclosure i i i know john heater uh and you know you, you don't turn this down when somebody says oh, it's fine i will throw you a check to do that thing that you did for an animated show and you don't actually have to act you just need to sit in front of a microphone and do animated voice that is that is a payday and nobody's going to turn it's down. true but then again but the takeaway for the public was 
oh, he's done nothing since then, so he's just going to milk he's it again. A, he's done a few things. He's done a few yeah. things. But, you know, the thing yeah. is, I mean, that, you know, yeah. he's not trained as an actor. That was all kind of a fluke in his career. It really was. I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he did that as like a favor to, to, to Jared Hess, whose new film, by the way, is at Sundance. Jared Hess has a, has a new film. Interesting. Yeah. With Sam Rockwell. Always a winner. Always a winner. All right. Um, before we, in the few minutes that we have left, going to talk about a, a few classic movies. And Criterion has a set of, uh, of really amazing stuff coming out. This is, I mean, this should be on anybody's Christmas list. Uh, Liliana Cavani's The Night Porter. Uh, Lil- Liliana Cavani made a, uh, another movie that Andy Klein and I recently did an audio commentary for, for uh, Cohen, which we'll be talking about uh, on another show. But um, her most famous film is Far and Away The Night Porter, which was a kind of a real game changer at the, at the time in 1974. It really pushed the envelope and uh, put her on the map. And this is definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's a great Blu-ray from Criterion. Criterion has also now released Time Bandits in a fantastic uh, Blu-ray director-approved edition from Terry Gilliam. Even has a lenticular. When has Criterion ever done a lenticular? I know. It's That's interesting. Like, isn't that wild? It's fantastic packaging. So bravo, Criterion, for going to the wall on that one. Uh, and this is a 2K digital restoration that Terry Gilliam himself supervised. And it is awesome. Uh, also, it's funny, a lot of people email us and saying, you think Criterion will ever wind up with Todd Haynes' safe? And I remember saying, I, I'm not sure. You know, Todd Haynes is a really iconoclastic guy. Uh, you know, it'll probably get released, but I don't think Criterion... What did I know? Criterion has now released Safe with Julianne Moore, who may win an Oscar this year. Still, Alice is going to be a contender. Oh, yeah. Especially in the actress category where yes. it's thin this year. She's really, in really fact, good. In fact, I think that Tom Hardy is so good and the actress category is so thin... Tom Hardy might be nominated for Best Actress. It's possible. It would not be interesting. I think that would be really interesting. That would be a, a, a nice change, wouldn't it? Really kind of eliminate some of those barriers. Uh, so anyway, uh, Todd Haynes, who just make, doesn't make movies more than like once a decade, uh, made Safe, you know, for, you know, it's been 20 years. This movie's 20 That's years wild. old. I Isn't know. that crazy? I know. That's amazing. Anyway. Todd Haynes, and for, look, for a guy, as you say, who is so iconoclastic, he has... Slowly carved out a career for himself. He has. He doesn't know? have an agent. You know that. Is that right? Doesn't have an agent. You got to somehow track him down on his cell phone, and he'll be you know in the Bahamas like doing something. And hey, you want to make a movie? I don't know. Talk me into it. He's really he really is just a an, an fu kind of guy. Um, and it happened one night. The uh, Clark Gable. This clip, is it, folks. The, Get it. This is the you know the Frank the film that put Frank Capra on the map. One best picture. I mean, it's great. Uh, still classic. 1934. Here we are. You know. 80 years later, this film so holds up. It's unbelievable. It's still great. Fantastic Criterion release. Bravo. you got to get it. Yep. Uh, here's two you don't have to get. From the, um, One's from Blue Underground. Shockwaves. Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, um, who I'm sure all you guys know from the original Star Wars. He played, uh, I forgot the name of his character. Um, but he was the original Star Wars. Yeah, he's the he's, he's the like tall the, the, the guy with the, the tall Markham, long face. Markham Dole Markham or whatever. Some... Steve, Steve Markham. No, it's, it's the, the the Dom Markham or some some exactly. Anyway, uh, this is uh, Shockwave. Shockwave takes place in World War II. It's pretty. It's 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 really cheesy. It's it's not trauma cheesy, but it's like kind of Corman hard cheesy esque. And um, during World War II, the Nazis ordered that uh, the creation of these uh, of like this race of indestructible zombie stormtroopers. And so uh, there you go. They they're dead. They feel nothing. And that means they're unstoppable Nazi stormtroopers, Wade. How dare you? Oh, yes. 
Uh, Peter Cushing's in it. <clears throat> Brooke Adams is in it from the highly recommended uh, remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, directed by Philip Kaufman. And uh, John Carradine's in it. So um, it's really cheesy and very, very 70s, but uh, kind of cool in that really silly way. This is a good um, Halloween one. It's, like it's, you know, it's, it's a good film to put on your Blu-ray player at Halloween, like on repeat. Oh, totally. And then just like, you know, just nerd yeah, out on it. Totally. So there's that. We also have, um, now back in the 90s when Clive Barker was more of a thing, horror novelist turned director Clive Barker was more of a thing. He came out with Lord of Illusions. Now, Lord of Illusions, I think, was one of the ones that kind of uh, started to sink his reputation. This is uh, Scott Bakula playing a detective. It's got a very noir kind of setup. And it's actually, the setup is a little bit similar to Magic in the Moonlight from Woody Allen, which we talked about earlier, which is Scott Bakula. He plays Harry Damore, a private investigator who comes to L.A. where he meets this guy who is, has these amazing illusions. But, you know, are they real illusions or is there, like, murder and deception going on? Who knows? He's got to investigate it. So, um... This is uh, it's. I, I do like the uh, Blu-ray though. It's uh, the show. The movie's kind of low budge, so the Blu-ray does the best it can to make the movie look decent. <clears throat> it does uh, have a commentary by Clive Barker and new interviewer, a new interview with the storyboard artist who has some insight, but not a lot of insight into the making of the film. So there you go, Lord of Illusions from Clive Barker. If you like him, sweet. You know how much Wade loves Clive Barker. Mm. Uh, Pumpkinhead was one of the um, was one of those really st- stupid car franchises that I had absolutely no interest in. And so now we have Pumpkinhead 2. Um, it's about, obviously, it's a bunch of teenagers. There's like half a dozen teenagers, and they wind up resurrecting the demon. And uh, there you go. It stars Amy Dolans. By the way, Amy Dolans, who is the daughter of Mickey, Mickey Dolans, Dolans of the, the Monkeys. Of the monkeys. Mm-hmm. There was a moment there when Amy Dolans... There was a moment. There was a moment there. Yeah. Amy Dolans? Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, she's older now. Yeah. But uh, Soleil Moon Fry is also in it, and uh, Linnea Quigley, who was a scream queen from back in the day. She was she's the in it. scream queen. She was the scream queen. Yeah. Anyway, Pumpkinhead 2, not into it, but there you go. Um, Dario Argento, who uh, I am not a fan of, although Wade loves Dario Argento. <clears throat> I'm, Never. Just not, I'm just not a fan of uh, Giallo films, of which Dario Argento is the ultimate practitioner. Demons and uh, Demons 2. Uh, these were both directed by uh, Lamberto Bava. Lamberto Bava was kind of the, um, he was uh, Dario Argento's, not protege, but he was like, if, 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 if Argento didn't direct it, which is bad enough, then Bava was the guy who you wanted to direct your Giallo film. So here we have Demons and uh, Demons 2. So uh, yeah, both from Synapse Films, both well done. Look, Synapse Films, they do a good job with their special features. This is high definition. Um, you know, it's got a good, good-looking stereo soundtrack. It's stereo, folks. It's not like 5.1. We're talking, you know, mm-hmm. it's 1986, so we're talking, you know, 2.0. And, uh, yeah, so they do a good job. So if you like your Giallo, which I don't, then check out Demons and Demons 2. All right. And to wrap everything up, I am going to go through a pile of, uh, very quickly, of uh, classic films from various studio lines. One of them, uh, the first group come from the 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives. These are their uh, MOD, Manufacture On Demand titles, all of them DVD-Rs. So just know that you're, you're ordering these, and then they're going to print one out for you right then and there. And it's not going to be the same quality as anything else. It's like the Warner Archives, but it, I mean, it's good quality. Good quality, but it's not a pressed disc. It's a manufactured DVD-R for you. Uh, the first film is We're Going to Be Rich, starring Gracie Fields and Victor McLaughlin. This is kind of an okay melodrama. Um, from the good old golden days that uh, about, a, about a guy and his wife who leave Australia, go to South Africa, you know, just before the turn of the century and have a rough go of it. It's, you know, kind of a standard issue melodrama from the era. 
Uh, Robert Donat, who won uh, Best Actor for Goodbye Mr. Chips in the amazing year of 1939, beating out Clark Gable, among other people, um, is in, stars in this uh, biopic called The Young Mr. Pitt, uh, which is uh, basically the story of a guy who was known as Pitt the Younger, who was a uh, prime minister of Great Britain at only 24 years old. Kind of an amazing story. Uh, John Mills, really, really good in it as well. This was um, made the, uh, in 1942. World War II adventure film called Manila Calling, which is uh, basically about the uh, this guerrilla force that fought uh, in you know during the Japanese uh, invasion of the Philippines. And uh, interesting history, not such a great film. Kind of feels a little a little rushed. Uh, then a couple of movies from a weird franchise that never really got off the ground uh, called Smiley, which uh, was produced by Alexander Korda, and uh, such a such a weird thing this was. The original, they, the the two films star a different kid. Um, Colin Peterson plays Smiley in the first one, and uh, Keith Calvert plays Smiley in Smiley Gets a Gun. Basically, the story of this little Australian kid who's kind of like an Australian version of Dennis the Menace. Uh, you know, it's a very very odd thing that they tried to sort of force down audiences' throats and. Never really, never, never caught fire. I guess they were all looking for something kind of to capitalize on Shirley Temple and all these kids' films at the time, Little Rascals. That one never really caught fire. Um, from uh, the good people at Warner Archive, we've got a Blu-ray of The Picture of Dorian Gray, which is a fantastic, fantastic choice to put on Blu-ray. Um, this is with George Sanders and uh, Donna Reed with supporting performances by the likes of Peter Lawford and Angela Lansbury. And it's just great. It's a, it's a fantastic story, a beautiful uh, filming of it, uh, just produced by Pondro Berman. Really, really great. The, uh, the material originally by Oscar Wilde is just perfectly represented here. It's really, really great. Uh, the guy who directed it, Albert Lewin, not one of the great directors of all time, but he's surrounded by so many good people it doesn't even matter. Anthony Quinn and Verna Lisi, who I've always adored, in uh, The 25th Hour, uh, which is, uh, you know, not as good as it probably should be, given the cast, but produced by Carlo Ponti, who, of course, did, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Zhivago and was the mega producer in Italy because he was married to Sophia Loren. So, uh, you know, he could pretty much do anything he wanted. And uh, Anthony Quinn playing a Romanian peasant, uh, kind of struggling through World War II. I you know, somehow sounded like somebody's good idea, somebody's idea of a good time. I'm dropping everything here, Mark, because I'm trying to get it done. I'm trying to get it done. Uh, a Bing Crosby double feature with Jane Wyman. It's weird, right? Bing Crosby and Jane Wyman. What, what kind of a team is that? I d- didn't even know they were properly introduced. I know. Jane Wyman, of course, married to? Uh, at the time, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And divorced him because she didn't think he would go anywhere. Duh. <laughs> anyway, uh, they made a couple of films called Just For You and Here Comes the Groom. Really kind of programmers. Bing Crosby gets to do his bingy thing and, and Jane Wyman's just along for the uh, she's just along for the ride. Uh, Frank Capra did Here Comes the Groom. Sort of a job for hire for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I guess if you're a fan of Bing, then, you know. They're in, stu- in the studio system, Wade. Yeah. They farm me out. They, they, go they really direct did. this. And then the wonderful, wonderful Forbidden Hollywood collection. Uh, this is uh, f- uh, four pre-code films, Blonde Crazy, Strangers May Kiss, High Nelly, and Dark Hazard. I love All, these things. I actually saw, uh, I saw a uh, festival of these at the Hammer Theater 
in Westwood, where UCLA yeah. is. Yeah. And these are wonderful. They're all great. They're all great. All of these are terrific. Really, really good casts. Uh, James Cagney and Joan Blondell, uh, along with Ray Milan, just absolutely kill it in Blonde Crazy. I mean, that is that is just a you know great film, directed by Roy Del Ruth. Might even be Roy Del Ruth's best film. Uh, Alfred E. Green also uh, does a killer job with Edward G. Robinson in uh, Dark Hazard. That's fantastic. Paul Muni is the star of High Nelly. Uh, you know, he basically does the same thing that he always does. But uh, Mervyn Leroy, another great director doing that one. And uh, Norma Shearer, who is, you know, everybody, one of everybody's favorite all-time actresses, stars with Robert Montgomery in uh, Strangers May Kiss. So, I mean, you just, you, you know, these are all really good casts and really, really good movies. And then to wrap everything out... Before I uh, send all of our listeners and Mark off on their holiday expeditions, you're going to have one heck of a time on Christmas, aren't you? I am. You sure? Aren't you? Aren't yeah. You, aren't you, like, going on some grand globe-trotting no, voyage? I, I'm going to San Francisco to get the hell out of town. I have nothing going on at Christmas time. Mark, no girlfriend. Well, you know what you're going to do? Family out of town. I'm you know going to San do? Francisco. What? You're going to watch Hickey and Boggs on Blu-ray. You know, Hickey and Boggs. No, 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 Actually, you know what? No, 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 no. Yes, you are. No, no, no. Hickey and Boggs is cool. Well, Hickey and Boggs was directed by Robert Culp after I Spy went off the air, and he figured, hey, I got a, I got a shot at directing a cop movie. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire Bill Cosby because he's, not, he's a stand-up guy, and nobody would ever accuse him of rape and molestation. This is a very interesting movie. It's a fascinating this film. This is a great film about Los Angeles. It's, it, has, it has that existential layer to it that it like, does. The Long Goodbye has to it. But it's weird because everyone overlooks it because they're like, oh, it's just a cheesy, like, they're trying to rip off I Spy no, and keep it going. No way. But Culp is a good director. And the other thing about this is he's working with a hell of a script by... Walter Hill. Walter Hill. This is, I mean, you know, this is really a fascinating film. It is. It's very nihilistic. Yeah. It's really, it's, a, it's way darker than you would think. True. In fact, it, you, it, you could give me this if you wanted to. Uh, well, I, I, will, I will mull it. Um, Gregory mull Hines, it? as long as we're talking about great directors, Peter Hyams uh, just killed it with uh, Running Scared. I like this movie. Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. Did you really? Yes, I did. Really? Come on. It's uh, a, a, a Gregory Hines in his, in his underwear in the, in the snow. It's, it's a shootout. It's funny. It's the era of the buddy cop movie. And somehow Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal, I'm just like, who is this? Like, is this like yes. the D list? Is yes. this you got you? You went no. down your list of who can be buddy cops, and how you came you? down to Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. Oh, You're come like, on. I guess we could pair them up. Oh, have a heart. It's funny. <laughs> Not as funny. Oh, Hickey and Boggs isn't really funny, is it? You're taking no. that back, aren't you? I want that. <laughs> yes, I am. Fuck. So anyway, there's a, those are our two salt and pepper cop films for the week. Uh, Michael Dudikoff, who was like the go-to action guy for Canon Films. Um, with Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus and always all of them directed by Sam Furstenberg did Avenging Force which looks like every other movie that Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus and Sam Furstenberg did with Michael Dudikoff uh, they all look exactly the same they're all exactly the same and they all have Steve James in a supporting part uh, so nothing special there Gene Hackman and uh, Tommy Lee Jones in the package I like this um, movie this is a good movie this is a good it's movie it's a good solid thriller Andrew Davis before he did The yep. Fugitive yep totally true uh, that's also on Blu-ray. These are all from Kino, by the way. This is all from the uh, Kino. You can give me the package, by uh, Kino the way. Studio Classics Collection. Uh, Jane Fonda, John Voight in Coming Home, supporting performance in, by uh, Bruce Dern, directed like mad by Hal Ashby, produced by Jerome Hellman, who of course did Midnight Cowboy. Uh, really, just a, a sensational bunch of people involved in this film. This is one of the first Vietnam yep. stories that yep. really. But really, Vietnam was entering mainstream entertainment. It was 1978, like the same year that uh, The Deer Hunter won everything else. And then Coming Home won Best Actor for John Voight. 
And uh, it really, and, and Best Actress for, for Jane Fonda as well, by the way, and, and won Best Screenplay at the same time. Uh, you know, Haskell Wexler shot it just beautifully, and Hal Ashby was at the peak of his performing powers. Uh, you know, Waldo Salt. I mean, really, it's just a great bunch of people, and it's a terrific movie, and that's one that should not go overlooked. Um, John Borman's follow-up to Excalibur was uh, The Emerald Forest, starring Powers Booth and, of course, his own son, Charlie Borman. Uh, kind of a weird quasi-Tarzan tale meant to, you know, sort of mourn the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. A little too preachy, but really, really gorgeously shot. And, uh, you know, not, not the worst, not the best film that John Borman's ever made, but certainly one of his more interesting films. Uh, the Quartermass Experiment. Gosh, if you, if you see the name Quartermass in a movie you, you, and you don't know what it means, then this is not for you. I mean, Quartermass is, is kind of one of these legendary uh, you know, B-movie, genre movie figures. Anyway, Val Guest uh, directed this in 1955. And uh, what distinguishes this, this is one of these, you know, uh, spaceship comes back to Earth with, uh, you know, weird crap on board and, and all hell breaks loose. Uh, movies, like they made a lot of those at the time. Anyway, what distinguishes this is there's a really good interview with John Carpenter on this, who, of course, made something similar in Starman. And, uh, you know, a bunch of featurettes and uh, really interesting archival stuff. So if you're a fan of the Quartermass concept and the films and all that, then this is a big deal for you. And then lastly, there are a couple of Western-themed films. One is uh, Robert Altman's Buffalo Bill and the Indians or Sitting Bull's History Lesson. Uh, I always love it when they do the or. Dr. Strangelove started that. And Birdman has that Birdman. too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not just it's Birdman or, and then there's some weird existential name that they tacked onto it that I'll never remember. Dr. Strangelove, I can remember. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Easily done. Birdman. What the hell is Birdman's other thing? Or the, you know, the... Oh, the, 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 uh, the value stuff. of ignorance or the... Uh, the Whatever it is. I'm never going to remember that. Anyway, no, Robert Altman's uh, Buffalo Bill and the Indians or Sitting Bull's History Lesson. And then uh, The Missouri Breaks... Uh, directed by Arthur Penn with the, the incredible cast of Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. Really, um, you know, such a great cast. They're both at the peak of their powers. So both of these on Blu-ray. i got to tell you, the fact that Missouri Breaks is still rated PG all these years later uh, is a little weird. This is not a PG film. This would, like, not even be PG-13 today, I, I, I suspect. Um, but uh, Buffalo Bill and the Indians, as an Altman film, as Altman films goes, is really fascinating. And uh, you know, it, it's not really a biopic per se, but it's it's an incredible l- historical prism is filtered through Altman's sensibilities and uh, great cast. I mean, Geraldine Chaplin obviously you know steps in from uh, from Nashville. Uh, you got Burton Lancaster. I mean, Joel Gray. It's a really, really good cast. And of course, Paul Newman uh, is the star of it. Um, one of his more kind of unusual performances. And uh, the thing that uh, is worth pointing out most importantly here is that it was written by Alan Rudolph, who, of course, went on to emerge from the shadow of uh, Robert Altman and become his own kind of Altman-esque auteur. For a second, like, welcome for, to L.A. For a moment. And, uh, you know, Choose Me and some other stuff like that. And, and has he done anything since um, no. Vicious Circle? No. That was like the last big thing he did, yes. wasn't it? That was a big deal at Cannes. He shows up on uh, DVD extras. Yeah, That's what he does now. so strange. I mean, he's, a, he's one of those. There was a piece recently I read talking about all the directors of mid-budget films who now just everyone's forgotten about them. I mean, David Lynch and Alan Rudolph. And there's like a whole litany of these directors who were the bomb as recently as the mid-90s. Yeah, but look at the movies they make versus the movies that get made. Sad. 
sad that we've lost that. All right, that should do it. So uh, we are done for the year. Happy birthday. Thank you. No? So uh, we we need to uh, start the year with a bang next year. We uh, A lot of listener mail that we have not been able to get to on these last two shows. We're going to do an, a, a, a catch-up, uh, try to get some, some of that caught up, because some of you sent us some really cool cool emails. But keep, so, keep well, on the Facebook page, because if you do have any immediate questions... Page. Yeah. Ask us on the Facebook page or email us at gods at digigods.com. And send us some Vox boxes. Let's get some more boxes. No. no. So send us some Vox boxes. If Those of you who don't know what that is, just record your question. Send us an audio file. Any format. It doesn't matter. We are, we are masters of the audio file. We know how to, uh, how to un- uncork any of them. And uh, I don't know. Whatever. So uh, send us Vox boxes, and we will see you guys in 2015. Happy New Year!